Okay, we are live. Episode five. This is Investor Series. This is going to be a good one. John Sebastiani, Sonoma Brands. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Stoked to be here. Uh, he's going to give us a little context because I know everybody's going to say, wow, look at it. Where is he at? Is he at? <laughs> just describe just where you're at shortly for us. You got it. You got it. I, I, I have this very cool cave that, that's at my uh, home residence here in Sonoma. And so it allows me to have an office space and a little, little, little man cave-ish uh, type, type ambiance in here. I like it. Um, okay, we're going to jump into it. Uh, for context, you'll tell us a little bit about Sonoma Brands. So give us the 30 seconds on that. But before that, you might want to say, what were you doing that sort of allowed you to get into that? that business? What was the brand you're part of, even though I know it's a case nobody knows? Yeah, you got it. So so my my, my start <clears throat> in consumer was was actually in wine, as you might imagine, uh, being from Sonoma. And the key takeaway of that experience is that for all consumer investors and entrepreneurs, you know, we look at a category, we try to understand the competitive set, we look at the total addressable market, and the wine industry illustrates the greatest sort of crowded sector that I've come across. $30 billion category, 14,000 wineries in in, uh, in the country. That's just the US, not to mention Europe and Australia and so forth. So I left wine after we sold the winery. So it was our first exit. And then I, I started Crave. And so that was uh, sort of a complete departure from a discipline that, that I had learned. But but what drove success in the wine industry is is really mastering the ability to storytell and that consumer romanticism that you establish that drives loyalty. So I I, I kind of stumbled into uh, the meat snack space on something, Mark, that you and I share very, very dearly, which is fitness. And uh, my life is is like my most important meeting of the day often is, is my workout or my run. Um, I love the teachings that, that running marathon gives me, which is grit and resiliency. And I've learned to enjoy the journey rather than the destination. And so in that lifestyle, I, I just kind of tripped into this category that that seemed so stale to me, which is jerky. And it was 2010. I'm like at this cross section of my career. Part of me is freaking out because I grew up in this wine family and like, what else am I going to do? So it really drove probably the hardest skill for me to develop is this survivalist mentality. Crave was born. Nobody cared about jerky at that point. It was like a convenience store, gas station food. Somehow I had to muscle my way into the premium natural set and start to demonstrate that we could bring new users to the category, right? That magic word of incrementality. You know, the journey was quick. It turned out to be more of a sprint than a marathon. I had no idea that that five years later, I'd be selling it to Hershey, but that's what happened. So, you know, between my wine experience and now Crave and really the exposure to so many great investors and brokers and other entrepreneurs, I felt like I had slowly developed a playbook. And the most important part of, of an, from an investor standpoint, as well as the, the founder, is that that magic that the founder has, that that deep sense of determination. So I decided it was always a dream to, to become an investor 
we are, we were, there's many of us now sort of the first uh, founder slash investor that started a firm. I consider myself like a founder first investor. Uh, we don't really focus on sector necessarily. We look for great brands, great products, great founders. And Sonoma Brands now has been in, in existence for about six years. We're on our third fund. We we have about 20 companies in our portfolio. I like it. Okay, that, that paints the picture of how we get to now. Um, and so... If you could maybe grab, and we won't go into detail on the specific brands, but maybe just mention three or four brands that are in their portfolio. It's just, you can give them a shout out. That's a great thing. Um, yeah. And 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 you, again, we don't need to get into what it looks like for them now, because every story is different. We all know things are really tough and, yeah. and what's happening in, the, in, in business in general. But maybe from the beginning, it's more of what did you look at? What got you uh, interested in those brands and or the founders? There had to have been probably three or four key attributes. Maybe you could just share that. Yeah, I mean, you know, as any founder uh, would, uh, certainly driving the ship here at Cinema Brands Capital. I mean, we we are our, our first investments are a little bit different than what we do today. So we do invest across all consumer sectors. So we're not just food and beverage, we're in beauty, we're in pet, we're in consumer tech. Um, you know, we're gonna look for, and, and sorry for these corny phrases, but uh, sometimes they just make sense. You know, we look for brands that are kind of born on third base, if you will, they have that X factor, that magic. It's different for every single founder and brand, but you know, one of them is like this this pet food brand that we just backed. Well, not just, but two years ago. Uh, it's called Made by Nacho, and in fact, Nacho is is a cat, and his name is Nacho Flay. He has his own identity on Instagram and social platforms. Nacho Flay's parent is Bobby Flay. And you've got this like amazing story. Have you woven the the character and the integrity and the branding of Bobby Flay into this very authentic story around his own cat? And he's a cat lover and every cat deserves her or his chef, too. And so this beautiful sort of storyboard has been built around Nacho Flay. It creates differentiation. It's premiumizing the space. It's driving incrementality in retailers. So that's one example. Um, you know, it's a digital business. It's a it's a retail business. I think today's marketplace, and I think many of, of you know this, Mark, and many listening to this will know that it's it's no longer uh, just a digital play or even a retail play. I mean, the lines have been so blurred in so many different ways, and we've seen businesses that were really strong digitally that then found themselves completely struggling in retail. So as, a, another example might be a milk bar where, where it's a kind of a similar story where, where you've got this media, more of a media company because Christina Tosi, the founder has become this Martha Stewart meets Betty Crocker. And we're like, wow, like this young generation is, is tired of Pillsbury and Betty Crocker and no other authentic sort of, Baker has established herself as, as a real um, authority in the space. And she can both entertain and educate at the same time. And so Milk Bar is this three-legged stool, right? You've got retail, meaning brick and mortar. We have 18 doors and growing. Uh, then we have a digital business, which is actually the biggest part of our business. And then an emerging 
uh, grocery business. So it's a omni-channel business. And those are just two examples. They're, and they're good ones. Um, they're, they're good ones. I, I would push back if I was sitting here and I go, you know, the first one, you've got is, I mean, he's a celebrity. I, I don't follow too much of stuff like that, but he's a celebrity. I, it, let me just speak for everybody, right? So the the founders that don't have that edge, they don't have, they didn't start on third base. I actually like that, by the way. Did you guys make that up, that third base thing? It, because right away it resonates with me. And so I, I, I fundamentally understand that. Um, there are brands right away in my mind that I felt fit in that third base play that didn't have, let's say, a celebrity edge to them to get started. Um, so I understood, by the way, in context of what that meant. It was, yeah. it was I liked that a lot, by the way. Um, so the 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 thing is, is there something outside of that, right? Those people, I don't know the milk, I know the milk bar brand, I know it yeah. through you and but but there was also something there, like there was something created there. There had to have been money put behind that as far as as far as like you said, it's a media company who was already established. Where or how does somebody who doesn't have any of that, what lands them, let's say, at third base where you're like, I'm taking a flyer on that one? Because that's really what it would be, right? It's yeah, you, you, you've mitigated some of the risk, let's say, with Nacho. I believe so, right? Um, you you which is a really smart thing to do as an investor. You want to try and do that. But the real multiples, again, not not being in your business, but assumption is really when you can take the flyer. It's almost like they don't know what you know, and you don't need to convince them because they have to have the chops to even get there anyway. But for you to get the true, the real multiple, you need to find the one that you're like, that one's going to go. That one's going to land on third. They might be on second base right now, but they're going to land on third really quickly right now. And I'm going to get in before somebody else does. Yeah, and I, I uh, you're absolutely right. Look, I I, I kind of chose two examples, and maybe uh, I erred to to put both of those on the table because yes, you're right. Those two founders had this sort of uh, day one aware brand awareness. But on the flip side, uh, you know, we have a brand that didn't wasn't born on third base. Maybe the brand we saw that there was a a behavior going on with a co consumer that was driving this this virality. And, and one of them is Justin Gill at, at Bashan's. And the Bashan's is this ah, just amazing story. I mean, we we all as consumers and as humans really, literally magnetically love family stories that honor heritage and that hero, a, a grandma that was a influence on, on our lives. And in Justin's case, he has this amazing Japanese condiment sauce recipe that's been passed down. And you know, he doesn't have a career in media or, or you know, in, in finance, but he had the most amazing sense of determination and resiliency and sort of found himself. And I did, too, with Crave. Let's face it. I can relate to Justin's story because it's very similar. He is from Sonoma County. So, you know, a little local pride here that we're building a food ecosystem. And I know you know, Mark, you're in the Bay Area. So there's a lot of, we love our Bay Area founders. And this Bashans, I mean, when we look back, it's easy to look at the data, which we all do and go, wow. I mean, these turns, the, the year over year growth, the retention, the repeat purchase rates, 
all of these buzzwords were off the charts. I mean, and we're like, oh my God, like what is going on? We actually can't understand why this particular product has 3X the average velocity, not just at Whole Foods, but at Target, at grocery across the country, not just in Marin County or in New York, but in the middle of the country. So you're right. I mean, how did Justin get there? It's just like, we all know about these overnight successes that actually were 10 years in the making of dark days, hard work. So magic comes in the form of many different shapes and sizes. I like it. Uh, three items here real quick. Uh, number one, I interviewed Justin, good guy. Yes, uh, he's in uh, the the North Bay. Uh, and I love that story. Uh, just bought some, uh, by the way. Um, number two, uh, yes, Bay Area, shout out. I'm going to say this right now. Niners and Dubs bringing a championship oh, yeah. right now. I think, Don't worry about the Dubs right now, folks. Don't, don't You don't need to worry, okay? We got it. Uh, it's uh, January 25th. You can mark that there. Uh, number three, to recap it all, um, I like that one, and I'm going to go off the back of it to try to explore something that you might have an answer to. Okay. When you... The 99% of us founders, I like to group in us, like we yeah. don't have some story. There is no, and what story I'm talking about is velocity story. This is like never talked about. I don't know why. It's just because people like to just do the raw, raw shit and all this other stuff or whatever. Most brands don't have some velocity story. It just, they just don't. If you were to go capture 90, I use 99 because it's just such a nice number. 95% of those products that are on shelf, they don't or are not number one in category. They they all pull these different reports and all this. There's reports like spins, super expensive. Like even we don't, we can't afford it. There's things you can capture. Then you got the homies at the stores and all that. They, they'll pull reports for you if you get them, but that's a side note, folks. Uh, but you, you ask, ask somebody, be nice to people. They'll hook you up. The point is most don't have it. And, and the question now is going to be a, a sort of the big one is, do those brands have the ability to actually go somewhere? I know this is a heavy question where I'm going to go with this. If you look at what's happening right now, we all are part of it, right? Besides the fact that funding is drying up and investors are like, ah, I don't really like this. This stuff sucks. I don't even know what I was doing the last, what, what's going on, right? That's a separate subject. We talk about that later. Um, it's, it's Then you go back to the fundamentals of the business, which are just purely financial fundamentals. Like if you just understand math, like do, do I have any fundamentals in my business whatsoever? Comes down to just one simple thing, which everybody could have done from the beginning. Do I have margin? Forget all the other stuff. Who cares? Got nine people working out. How many, what's my promotional schedule? Forget it. Do I margin? Like that's your entire business. Who cares? Do I have a place on shelf that allows me to sit there for a long period of time and then add distribution to that? So can I go place myself in other areas to grow my revenue? This is your, you, I know you're going to give a good answer to this. Is there anything of value to anybody 10 years from now? What am I, this is might be self-serving, but I'm speaking for everybody. What am I doing right now? 
What is I one? I'm just, it's just, it's, yeah. I mean, it speaks for everyone. What am I doing right now? Is there, is there ever going to be a, an asset that's sitting there of, that's valuable to somebody out there? Because that is what I have to be doing this for if I'm speaking transparently, right? Like, of course, they're like, well, what are you doing? Are you, do you want it? I want it. I want a return for our investors. And yes, I would like to have a, a, a check for our family one day for all of the shit that I go through, yeah. right? Okay. Now, along that journey, somebody might be like, yeah, but if you're profitable, aren't you winning? I'll leave that as a yes. I, that would be beautiful. That's a beautiful story, right? Give me give me something here. Give it, give it to yeah, me. I, I, I mean, look, I, I do think just to start, <clears throat> if we if we zoom out for, for a minute, okay. we need to recognize that the macro environment is like a pendulum that's just swinging back and forth. And even the within that macro environment are the strategics and their behavior, right? And when I sold Crave, the pendulum was, was a little bit to the left, right? These strategics recognized that, hey, I need to grow. I need small business culture, that entrepreneurial, gritty, 24-7 mentality to come into my corporate culture. And so there were two reasons that, that they were buying these companies earlier stage, as well as they weren't entirely concerned about margin and, and profitability, because those were the two things that strategics believe that they're the best at, supply chain and then you know synergies, right? So unfortunately, the, the pendulum swung the other way now. The goalposts have been moved. Strategics behavior are bigger is better margin matters. I can't just guarantee that I can pick up 20 points of margin the day I buy it. And profitability is the new buzzword, right? But that's not always going to be. We have to recognize things change, right? And and categories change. I mean, some categories come in the, in the vogue and then a transaction gets done and a bunch of Me Too followers, you know, suddenly enters the space. And then strategics move to a different part. I mean, we know fundamentally snacking is growing. The behavior of consumers is growing towards snacking. We all know that retailers and the whole ecosystem benefit from premiumization. Customers will continue to reach for premium, better for you products. So, you know, using Iwan, which is a phenomenal brand as, as an example, I mean, there is a mentality of, of only the paranoid survive, right? It's a Andy Grove quote. Um, you've got, I know you, you've got the, the resiliency and determination you're chasing the right categories. Um, there is a, a period of time where you have to trust the process. And size does matter. Category does matter. Brands, obviously, that have permission to stretch into uh, different areas of the, of the store are going to get a higher or a better look. But man, you know, on the flip side, you know, for a brand out there that has flatlined in their velocity, or maybe they're experiencing some declines. They're doing everything they can to expand margin and cut costs. It's sort of a, it can be a death spiral, right? And you turn into a zombie brand. This ecosystem is one of the most special ecosystems I've ever come across. Very different than the wine industry where it's very competitive and sharp elbows and, you know, you are a great example of bringing people together to share thoughts and share ideas. 
you know, as a founder that's, you know, whether it's 5 million or 30 million or 50 million in revenue, whatever it is, really climb that ladder, talk to people, get yourself in front of the M&A teams of, of Mondelez or Hershey or Mars or General Mills, Mark, you to, to like really say, hey, here's my business. You know, here's where I'm going. What do you think? I mean, these this ecosystem actually, even at Expo West, I mean, M&A teams, investment bankers, you know, they're going to guide you, you know, in your particular category and share wisdom with you and share sort of the current climate of what strategics are looking for. They're all, we, we all know that we've been reading about sort of uh, roll-ups, right? You know, we've got roll-ups happening left and right. Well, you know, that's another way to grow, of course, you know, in a down market where you've got a brand that has no more working capital, you know, capital, um, they have no option. They have to merge. Um, I always, am, you know, even when our, within our portfolio, if, if we have a brand that that needs more cash and isn't quite profitable, they're not really growing, you have to think about other opportunities and maybe a merger and consolidating with, with a different brand to get to profitability matters. Right now, we're in a period where you have to have staying power. Staying power is strength. And things will change. We know they will. We just don't know when. I, I love that answer. Um, and and I know I I know for many founders who are in that muck, right? They they they'll get what I just got, right? There's a wind of like, okay, I get it. This is what's going on because we we know it. The the smart ones, you know, that we know it. We understand economy. We understand um, categories. We understand verticals. I talk about it all the time. Like we're in the Bay Area, you know, like tech. Look at this thing, right? And I know you have friends who are, you know. Who are you know have done well or haven't done well in this sector, right? It's all the same thing, mm -hmm. um, but we always do need a reminder and someone who speaks well like you do, someone who has experience and uh, and is providing what I consider trusted guidance, right? Like something that of value for somebody to take in. That's what I know many will take from that. Um, off of that, you had mentioned something like even in your portfolio, which. If speaking for any, let's say, uh, VC or, or an equity company that has a portfolio, it was one of those common themes of, well, we're not really investing right now in newer opportunities. There's always some, you know, they got to keep an eye out because you wouldn't be doing your job. I'm assuming for your, this is just assumption, right? For LPs and everybody, if you're not constantly looking for opportunities, especially right now, right? This is this is also an, op an opportune time, but on the flip side, there's the common theme of we need to keep our cash tight for our current portfolio companies because some of them suck. That's not what they say, folks. That's Mark talking. Please relax. Um, but that's, you know, some of them are not doing well and we need to make sure that we have some cash to support that. It's assumption when some of those brands are doing what they should be doing now, which is trying to fix all of those things that we talked about, right? Maybe unit economics or whatever it may be. When does it come a time where someone like yourself says, that brand's not going to make it? That brand is not going to be, it could even be, you know what, that brand's founder. I don't, you, you would only know, you would be, you've seen it, right? You've been, you've probably been privy to conversations. You probably sat there in a meeting and in the back of your mind going, ugh, that was not that. Yeah, I again. I'm just. That was not a. 
that wasn't a good play, right? Uh, or this guy or gal is not who I thought they were, maybe, right? Um, and then it's just the brand. It could maybe it's forget personal, right? Forget the, the, the founder. It's the brand. It's this doesn't have the chops and it won't get to where those things that we described, which is let's, it, we got to get to the other side that the pendulum is going to swing in seven years. What do you do? You you do the roll up thing. Do you start having those hard conversations, which is we got to strategically align this with somebody, or we just it's we we we're, we got to just I don't even know what you'd call it. I guess you'd call it divested somehow, or you'd park it and it just goes to zero. What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think most brands, you know, whether the founder or the leadership team has a mentality of sort of a fail fast mentality, meaning that that likely brands to try to grow start to iterate, right? They start to uh, innovate into a new category. And that's how I'm going to grow. Like I'm, I'm stuck in the mud over here, but my brand can extend over here. Boom, I'm going to take my cash and, and go get behind a new SKU. So it's it's tricky, right? It's a balancing act of, of both holding on and then letting go. And it's it's friggin' hard to let go sometimes, you know, of, of a special project or a skew or whatever. Um, the other thing, and this really applies to founders and investors, the most important item is you can never lie to yourself. And I believe that in our hearts, and in our minds, we know if we really believe in something or not. So as investors, yes, of course, we've seen it in other people's portfolios. We've seen it in our own portfolio. And there is a mentality that once you're in the family, we're going to protect you. We're going to be there for you in the dark days and in the good days. But most importantly, the dark days. Um, there are technical realities, though, as investors, that we do have allocation limits there does reach a point where we are prohibited of putting more capital in. Those are scary moments, but we we try to, to manage our management teams so that they know the cash runway and that some founders sit back and believe that, oh, my, my, my private equity investors will be there. I know I have a six month cash runway, but it's on to us also as investors and board members, not just the, the actual investors, many companies that we're in, there's multiple investors to really guide the management team. You have to be honest with them that, that we're, we're, we're done or we're, we're unable to provide more capital. Um, some management teams are, are not coachable. They just don't listen. And as investors, when you're a minority investor, there's just only so much we can do. Um, and yes, at times, it's very unfortunate that companies just do go to zero or they ultimately get acquired for you know, a very small return. And this is like a whole different discussion. But when you're a founder, man, you got to manage your cap table, manage when you take in money, the preferences that investors are, are, are getting, because there are multiple scenarios where an exit happens and the only people that are getting money, you know, are the are the investors. So it's downside conversations. But I think the the, the foundation of trust between founder and board, which predominantly often is the investor, uh, is a sense of honesty and transparency about what's really going on. And I think that iteration of A-B testing, it's a behavior even during good times that has to be disciplined. It's like, you know, we talk, you talk a lot about fitness and it's it's the preparation really that's that's 
always going to be the key driver of your workout. It's not just the workout. It's the sleep and the eating regimen and, and everything else that gives you that best. So the same thing in a business. I know it's common sense and kind of silly metaphors to use, but you know, the best boards are looking 12, 18, 24 months out. They're seeing if a skew's stuck. They're, you know, constantly paranoid about how to grow, how to work with the founder. So I think brands that that re hit that wall uh, weren't paying attention to reality six, eight, 12 months before that. I like this. We went so far. These are usually like 20 minutes and I was just kept flowing because you're, you're, it's, <clears throat> it's the theme today. The, the business you're in capital, it's just such a heavy theme today. Um, yeah. And, and I forgot to mention, Mark, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I, I have a checkbook. Um, I am looking at companies. We, you know, we, in, we've invested in, in already a deal uh, this year. And, and I think, you know, that we are, we are active in conversation. So the idea that, that we're all investors are only protecting their own. Um, that's not quite true. I, I, um, and I believe that. Uh, and it's for those reasons I said it, it would, it would not be uh, the best interest of those involved with the fund. Uh, if, if they've heard that, it would just be, what, what do you mean? Um, uh, and again, I go off the back of, of something that you were saying that I don't think we dug deep in, which is, and we never got to, you know to really talk on it is is the opportunity of today, and maybe we'll close it out on that theme again. We went long because I like it, and we could talk for hours actually. Yeah. Uh, but people, you know, have like me. I short. I need quick. I need to you know give yeah, me give it to me right. Is opportunity. So we'll close it off with some optimism anyway. There's opportunity today. It's the it's the thing I think for most founders, at least. I know for for me, it's 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 easy. I don't need any sort of motivation. You know, in the morning it would be like you. You understand that concept. Like I don't. What is? It's not like that. I wake up and I want to go do this. Um, but there are probably those things that we we are uh, more in tune with and and we try to take from as far as um, what's happening out there to improve our go get it mentality. And that is opportunity mm -hmm. during times like today. Cause I already know you get probably way more calls than I get, but I have friends in the business and, um, and, and I know businesses that have already gone out um, some even right in my category. Right. And I know of businesses that are going out one more, most recently, I was like, wow, that's a, that's not good. Um, like kind of shocker. Some are like, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but, but some shockers here now, what does that mean? Well, that means opportunity. Um, and that means that's like, for like me, my emails are like, this is FYI for you folks too, right? My emails to the buyers right now, some, hey, if somebody's going out, which they know I've all the love in the world, it's not a bad, like, let me know. Like, let me, can I slide in there, right? Like, let's do some off, you know, the, the grid type of, no, we don't need to wait for, for resets. I can I want to slide in there. Yeah, if you don't ask, you don't get. Um, so, so give me the. We'll close it out with. What do you feel about that as far as the opportunity that's going to be out there for the next, who knows how long now? Yeah, I think. I mean, again, 
Big topic. Um, I'll try to keep it as, as concise. I, I do think there's opportunity. I mean, clearly the strategic behavior, depending upon the category, every category, a whole different set of, of sort of current events matter. But, you know, if we if we kind of live in the snack space for a minute, we just saw the General Mills divested food should taste good. Right. Wow. I mean, that's not that's not a great sign to the salty snack space. But Therein lies an opportunity. What you just said, there is a consolidation play here. So there are brands that are thinking ahead, that are recognizing the moment in time that we're in right now. And another person's unfortunate reality may be an opportunity for you. So you always have to think, you know, two, three, four chess moves ahead to really understand the climate that's taking place. Size matters, margin matters, profitability matters right now. For how long? I don't know. But for a brand that's, you know, kind of living in that $25 million, $30 million range, that's seeing you like, boy, I'm working my ass off to get, you know, 10, 15% year over year growth. I don't have any real, uh, you know, easy softballs coming my way from new distribution. I can't go lower my shorts to Costco. What do I do? Well, Make sure that you're rubbing elbows with all the bankers in your ecosystem that are in that space, because there may be an opportunity for you to pick up a great brand that just ran out of cash. And it's hard. Trust me. I mean, it's like I've experienced it. It is like when a brand is unable to raise more cash, you have no choice but to responsibly start to wind it down. Therein lies opportunities for stronger brands like I want and many others. So I think that's what we're in. There's tons of opportunity. There's no question. It's just different than it was, you know, four years ago where, you know, we were in the four to six X, you know, revenue multiple range for valuation. It's just different today. I think it comes back. Of course, we have no idea, but boy, we've seen, I mean, I know it's a little stale now, but I mean, Hershey paid, you know, a billion six for a pretzel company. I mean, it's a pretzel company. Right. So it's a big pretzel company, but I mean, a lot of people have never even heard of that brand. So there is massive opportunity. It's like it's just resiliency. And I think, you know, it's kind of like the space that we're in in this economy right now, the way that, that business and cash and liquidity is sort of it is available, but it's expensive. I equate it to like hitting the wall in a marathon. It's like mile 19. You've come a long way. You can kind of smell, you know, the finish line, but it's mind over body. You got to grind and then, you know, just create, self-create opportunity. You know, again, different, different sizes and shapes for different brands and sectors. John Sebastiani, Sonoma Brands. I like that one a lot. Thank you. Cheers, man.